welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast, Chip Patterson here, Barton Simmons there. Um, This was an unexpected twist and turn. We were sitting around, it was Thursday, Uh, a few people uh, maybe had had an inkling, but sure enough, uh, news breaks that uh, Hugh Freeze's job may be in jeopardy, then it quickly turns into resigning, and then finally on Thursday in Oxford, uh, a press conference was held, and this was Chancellor Vitter speaking to reporters. While Coach Freeze served our university well in many regards during his tenure, we simply cannot accept the conduct in his personal life that we have discovered. As you will soon learn, this matter is totally unrelated to the NCAA case. And our position on the facts documented in our response remains the same. Hugh Freeze out. Barton. A lot to get to here, right? Yo, this is not good <laughs> on any level. <laughs> no. This. I mean, this is so they absolutely went to war to, to protect Hugh Freeze. In all this NCAA stuff, they were going to do whatever they could, throw anybody under the bus, and, and, and make sure that their head coach was safe. And so this is obviously the worst possible outcome because now Ole Miss is firing Hugh Freeze, effectively. He's resigning, but they're firing Hugh Freeze. No buyout. But, but no, no buyout. And – and they still have to defend his actions to the NCAA. Like, they still have to present Hugh Freeze and prop him up as, uh, as, as a coach that was working uh, conscientiously within the rules of the NCAA to defend the, the, the stance they've taken throughout this NCAA investigation. So, you know, they're losing their coach, but if they had just thrown him under the bus back in the spring or, or, or winter – then they would have lost him anyways, and they wouldn't. And the NCAA would have uh, come down a little bit more leniently on them. Now they they don't get the the reprieve from the NCAA, and they lose their coach. So it's just a, a messy situation for Ole Miss. And goodness gracious, Hugh Freeze, brother. I mean, this is for Hugh Freeze coming out of this. I can't imagine a coach looking worse right. for all the rhetoric that he's put out there all the religious self-righteous talk this is the way you're going to go out coach no. i mean th- this is this is just uh I, I mean the intentional nature of the conduct here is as hypo- hypocritical as as i mean anything you can imagine this is this is pretty ugly this is uh there is something I don't want to call it poetry. Like I don't. I don't want to revel in it. But the twists in this are incredible because um, the again, Ole Miss asserts that this improper conduct, uh, this pattern of misconduct, which was revealed through combing through cell phone records, is not tied to the NCAA or potential NCAA violations. No, this is a personal matter, um, and it was discovered. Because Hugh Freeze was trying to pin the blame for the NCAA on Houston Nutt and on the previous regime. And this was something that started very, very early. Houston Nutt alleges in a defamation lawsuit that Hugh Freeze and athletic director Ross Bjork had been reaching out to local media outlets. And this is where it gets really interesting, uh, particularly from my seat, Barton, because one of our jobs at CBS Sports is we rely very heavily on the local reporting. You know, like we we really yeah. need those local reporters to help us be able to understand and frame the message. And I distinctly remember when the NCAA 
allegations and when the notice of allegations came out, I was surprised at how much of it was on Hugh Freeze and his staff because the local reporters had framed this in a way where I don't know how much of this is on Hugh Freeze. We think some of this might not be a football issue or at least not necessarily on this particular team. And so Houston Nutt, who is a commentator, who really has a lot of time and not real happy about the fact that his name is being drugged through the mud right now by Hugh Freeze, hires an attorney. They start going through the phone records. Houston Nutt was just looking for evidence that he had been calling reporters, and it looks like he and then Ole Miss, Ole Miss Athletic Director Ross Bjork later found something else in terms of a pattern of phone calls on this uh on this 39,000 call list, uh, which, which uh, I mean, which tells me, all right, so we've got the report from USA Today and Yahoo Sports uh, about the call to the escort service. Uh, it was one in Tampa. Hugh Freeze has told his supervisors, and he told Pat Forty uh, it was a misdial. He was in a 313 area code, 813, whatever. But the whatever else they discovered, ah, I just – looks. Looks bad. I mean, yeah, Ross Bjork, I think they said was there was a serious pattern of concerning behavior or something like that. I mean, it was it was not understated the, the way they presented what they found in the rest of their phone records. So uh, while we're still, you know, waiting for that to trickle out what exactly, you know, w- was in the, the rest of his phone records, it's bad for them to, to, to go ahead and just fire him. And, and a couple of things on, you know, your initial sort of breakdown of, of – of how this played out. Uh, so I obviously I look at a lot of this from a recruiting standpoint. And when this, the first initial uh, findings came out where, where we didn't actually know the findings, but we knew that the NCAA uh, had delivered a notice of allegations to Ole Miss and, and, it, and that notice of allegations wasn't public. So we had to rely on sources in terms of what it looked like. And, and obviously I, I felt like as most people did, this is going to take a serious hit on recruiting. But then you start hearing from the local media, as you mentioned, Chip, and, and they were saying it's not as bad as you think. This is this is uh, primarily the Houston Nut regime yeah. and track and women's basketball and whatever else. And so th- a couple things there. A, that's effectively lying to the recruits that are coming on campus, the t- class of 2016 that they're trying to save. You know, that that's misguided misleading those guys into stepping into a situation that that is is going to be significantly larger than than they signed up for a b the thing about that that's that i think is is of note is that was all done with you know the complicity of of ross bjork i mean he he saw those reports coming out he knew that they were misleading the media and and seemed to be okay with it at that point so in in that sense ross bjork comes out of this thing not looking very good Mm-mm. as the athletic director because not only did he have a bad read on, on Hugh Freeze, but he really allowed them to mislead recruits and mislead the press in terms of how this would look long term. And, you know, with with that said, um, look, th- this is Hugh Freeze now is is well, ha- now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so. <clears throat> so well, I, so there's always been dirty recruiting or whatever, but the miss like this was done. You, you're like this was done to save a recruiting class. Like these lies that ended up undoing Hugh Freeze were little white lies that were told to try and save a recruiting class. Well, and, and here's the other thing I want to point out is is this Houston Nut rightly wanted an apology. That's really all he wanted. He he, just, he didn't want. He didn't want money. He just wanted an apology to clear his name because it was run through the mug, dr- drug through the mud so much when the uh, initial notice of allegations came out. All they had to do was apologize to Hugh Freeze publicly, and he would never have filed this lawsuit, <clears throat> and they would have never found the calls, and Hugh Freeze would still have a job. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but they didn't. They were too pr- proud to do that. They, they refused to apologize to Houston Nutt, and then that's when this, this ball of yarn started to unspool. And so – you know, it, you look at it at the end of the day, and it's just it's the hypocrisy of the Hugh Freeze stuff is maddening because not it, look bad is bad and wrong is wrong, and if he had had any sort of extramarital affair, that's all wrong. But this isn't like he fell in love with a, a you know a, a student you know a, a trainer or something. This is one like he you know had too many 
beers after signing day one night and, and, and stumbled into something. He was calling escort services while he is heavy-handedly delivering the most, you know, forward-facing religious rhetoric of any coach in college football right now. So, so for him to knowingly do that and knowingly put on that front is, is really just, I, I think, offensive to everybody. I mean, look, Bobby Petrino is, is a jerk and he owns it. Yeah. And, and I was never offended by what he did off the field. But for Hugh Freeze, he's, you know, he throws it in everyone's face what a good person he is. So, you know, give us a, you know, just give an effort to live up to what you're putting out there. And so, you know, in that, that that's why I think everyone is, is a lot of people are sort of taking, um, you know, taking some some joy in this, um, and 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 I think that Hugh Freeze is is not getting um, an easy way out by anybody because of all that. Oh, there are a lot of college football coaches across the country that uh, that were prob that they, they didn't do uh, the Jen Bielema tweet karma, but I'm <laughs> sure that they were uh, they were like, huh? Well, looky that. Not yeah. as uh, goody two shoes as you thought, huh? You and know? it was rumored. Like I, I had heard the just sort of, and more recently, just because the, uh, everyone was piling on. But I had heard the sort of uh, Hughes not as not as, quite as, as saintly as he makes himself out to be, and and you know I hear this and that and the other, and and it was just rumors. And so, um, but I tell, and and so in that sense, I wasn't shocked to see the news. Um, but I was shocked to see it become public, I guess. You know, that was to me the, the fact that it came out and the, and the timing that it came out with and the fact that it was bad enough that, that Ole Miss had to turn their back on all that defense they've mounted for Hugh Freeze was, uh, I, I thought, pretty shocking. All right, so Matt Luke, interim coach, he will be the immediate future. I mean, you talk about timing. Like, camp's about to start. You got Shea yeah. Patterson, like one of the top quarterback talents in the SEC right there like you still got uh, a lot of football that we got to worry about Matt Luke former uh, Ole Miss player takes over as the interim coach Um, you know what's the like can this Ole Miss football program move forward they're still going to have to worry about the NCAA they still have no uh, postseason for this particular season Uh, what do you see for the Rebels moving forward like is this going to be a situation like I I kind of feel like we are not going to see another nine or ten win season from Ole Miss football for a while. Yeah, I don't know. I don't can't remember what I gave as my t- over or under for the the our, our SEC talk. Uh, I I was pretty bullish on Ole Miss though heading into the season. You, because you had I, him at like six. Like I think that you saw like a six and six type season. Like maybe yeah. uh, with and, a a good win somewhere in there with them all rallying together at the end of the yeah. season. Yeah, that sounds right. And and I mean, I still think that they're probably capable of really, you know, delivering a really strong performance against a good team here or there. But to me, this this takes a hit on their win total because this kind of leaves them scrambling. Um, you know, at least they had a, the family was together, you know, they were, the, the wagons were circled and, and Hugh Freeze for all his other faults is a good coach. And, you know, I, I really felt like this offense was, was so good that they were going to find a way to win some games. And I still think they will look, look good, but man, I, I, I think that this is the type of thing that can send them reeling a little bit. Now here's, here's the, the, the positive is, is Matt Luke is somebody that through all this old Miss mess from from off the field to recruiting to whatever else he's come out of this somehow still clean. I mean, he still has a really strong reputation. He's a good coach. He's a good offensive line coach. He's a good recruiter. He is, I think, someone. I think he's the is the right guy to have as the interim coach. And frankly, if they somehow manage to to get to seven or eight wins this year, which is not outlandish. Uh, I, you know, I think he's got a real chance to keep this job, despite being part of the administration that that's that you know brought this program down. I think he's clean enough and has come out with his hands clean enough that that he and, and his reputation is good enough that I really think he's got a shot to win this full time job, especially because it's not going to have a bunch of other big names banging down the door. So. Um, this is going to be a really interesting year, and I think it's a great opportunity for Matt Luke. And uh, I've seen so many 
So many people chasing that bag of clicks. So many click baggers just, just trying to get out there, uh, throwing out a name like Elaine Kiffin, throwing out a name like a Les Miles, throwing out Chip Kelly. Like I I haven't I've seen a lot of people who I do not rely on for uh, college football opinions from within coaching circles where it seems like they had one conversation with one agent and they're just trying to fire off the most salacious thing that they can. And it's just, man, I, I just, I know I, I'm, I am not the insider Barton, but man, I, I know this hustle and I know this industry. And if it's not Matt Luke, this looks to me like a job for a group of five coach that wants to take on a really challenging opportunity, you know? Well, yeah, and and there there's, I also think anyone that's throwing out legitimate lists right now is guessing because Ole Miss, no one's going to take that job until they know what the sanctions are. So no, no one's, you know, no one is ready to jump on board right now. Ole Miss is going to take their time with this because they're going to have to sit through this interim period anyways. And so I think that there's a lot of feeling out on both sides before we have a, a realistic list. But I, I agree with you. Like the, I mean, first of all, Lane Kiffin, I saw that too. That's ridiculous. Like, well, did you, see my, did, you, did you see what my man did on Twitter? No. Oh, Lane, yeah, following all the old Miss folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he is the ultimate Twitter troll. And, and for, for that, Lane, I love you. I love you. Awesome. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, he's look, Lane Kiffin right now, his brother – Chris Kiffin is on staff with him right now. Chris Kiffin is is he's he will have a show cause on him more than likely, and FAU may be the only school that would hire him right now. So I mean, there's there's a lot of of complications there that for, for, that Lane Kiffin doesn't make sense with. And so um, you know, to me, there's a couple names that that really I think make make sense. Uh, one is Frank Wilson, mm. who's a UTSA. He's he's doing a great job there. They're recruiting at an incredibly high level. Was that LSU given, running backs coach? Former LSU running backs yeah. coach, recruiting coordinator. Yeah, and and he was at Ole Miss before. He was at Ole Miss under Ed Ogeron, and so he's got some some background there, some history there. He understands the landscape. He would be able to recruit there, despite what's going on, because he's that good of a recruiter. Um, and and I think that given his history there, you know, that would be a job he would he would consider and I think that Frank Wilson kind of gets the rap as of of a recruiter and sometimes that can be uh you know have almost a negative connotation to it but but that's not like Frank Wilson there he is he's a stand-up guy he's a he is he recruits the right way how many games uh, did the Roadrunners win last year six or seven right I think I think they went six and six or six yeah. and seven or something like that yeah so I mean he's and that's Look, I, they're a well-coached team, and so I, I think he's a name that that's realistic to keep an eye on. Another name, and you threw him out there, but but as sort of possibly a a a, a dream or whatever you want to call it. But but I think Les Miles may actually be realistic. Oh, really? I mean, so you know, Dan Wolken t- tweeted that he heard that Les Miles had serious interest. I think Dan talks to people. I think that that's and I, I could kind of, it makes some sense to me, like. Less, less wants in, to work. Less, less really wants to work. And he's and and I think that less would embrace playing in the SEC West and having a chance to play LSU. I think he would. You know, I think he's the kind of coach that you know they're going to have a, a rough go of it here during these sanctions, regardless. And so, in some ways, they need somebody with who can ground them, keep you know, stabilize the program. And maybe even someone that isn't the long-term answer, but just a short-term answer to really get them through the, through the weeds here. And and Les Miles could be that. Now, here's to me, Les Miles is, is Houston nuts. From a, I mean, I think he's the same sort of head coach, in terms of the style, the the approach, the where they're at in their careers, you know. And so I, in some ways, I don't think that Les Miles necessarily would be a a great hire, but I don't think he's an unrealistic hire. Uh, so I, I think he's one to keep an eye on. Um, and then the, the two, there's, I'll give you two, three more names, Neil Brown and Willie Fritz, mm. I think fit that sort of Southern group of five profile where they're, they've had success. I think they would look for that. You know, this would be a step up for them that they would take. And I think they're good coaches. Uh, and then Chip, here's my final one. And this is, I have no sources. I have no reason to think he's being considered, but I, to me, 
if I'm Ole Miss, he's, he's one of my first calls, is Joe Maglia at Coastal Carolina. I don't know if you're familiar with my man. Oh, oh, V, v familiar. A, <laughs> a as a uh, as somebody who has a very soft spot soft spot in my heart for Myrtle Beach and the General Conway, South Carolina yeah. area. I've always had my eye on Coastal Carolina. I love their basketball program. They're always in the NCAA tournament. And when I started hearing about this TD Ameritrade CEO that was lighting up the world, the college football world. Oh, I've been on this, bro. I would love this. He's old though, right? Yeah, but again, I think that's. I think what Ole Miss needs is someone that is is a CEO. Is is someone that can really, um, you know, formalize the program and and put some structures in place that that set it up for long term success. Can stabilize it through what's about to be a, a tumultuous couple of years. Um, and, and Joe Maglia has, I mean, they've won at Coastal Carolina. He's a good coach too, and he is old, but he is, I, I mean, he's been successful in everything he's ever done. Why, if you're old Miss, not just hire someone that's going to just stabilize you, just get you on solid footing once again, and then, hey, in five years, maybe you're lo- looking for another coach, but you're looking for a coach after being a program that's that's found some success and found um, you know some a grounding force and so I just think that would be a really interesting name um, given just the way he's his career has gone as successful as he's been throughout and everything he's done um, I, I would be fascinated to see him in Oxford. We had on our last episode Tim Tebow on the show and we talked uh, in our conversations during the episode about the Florida court the lack of Florida quarterback success since Tim Tebow. And boy, I don't know what kind of juju we sent into the universe, Barton, but Florida got some great quarterback news over the weekend uh, with the commitment of Matt Corral. Now, here's what I'm, I'm going to let you uh, give give me your analysis because obviously you know this player much better than I do and better than anybody else that is in the college football world or could be listening to this podcast. But I see a Long Beach poly prospect who is committed to USC, decommitted for USC, uh, and when you look at him on the numbers, he is probably the highest rated quarterback for Florida to commit since Jeff Driscoll. Um, you know, what do you see from from Matt Corral and what like what kind of get was this for the Gators? Because I understand Florida fans have been thirsty, but I, I could tell that this was some some pretty big news on the recruiting trail, particularly for that position moving forward. Yeah, th- I mean, this is not small. This is this is a big get because Matt Corral is one of the, from a talent perspective, he's one of the best in this class. And, um, you know, at the quarterback position, talent is just the starting point. You know, you, you, you never know what you're going to get from the, from the neck up once they get on campus. But this kid is, I mean, he can sling it now. And he is, you know, out of the opening finals, uh, they had a long throw, long ball toss, and Matt Corral was had the longest throw in the country or in the in the event with a 78 yard throw. I mean, so that's that gives you an idea what kind of a just a cannon is on this guy's arm. He's coming all the way from California. You mentioned that he, you know, he decommitted from USC. That was a little bit of a mutual parting of ways. So he doesn't come without, you know, with, with he doesn't come with zero baggage. I mean, he's he's. He's had a couple off-the-field issues. He transferred schools. He actually got in a fight with Wayne Gretzky's son. It was part of the reason he transferred out of Oaks Christian was where he was last year. Huh. Uh, and so there's, there's, you know, so so the old the, the USC thing fell apart on him, um, and and he actually has been looking Southeastern Conference, and and Georgia was considered a favorite, and now he's committed to Florida. And in some ways, this is also interesting because Florida was had put all their chips in on, on Justin Fields for a while now and the the number one player in the country. And so now that they have Matt Corral, you assume Justin Fields probably, you know, that, that takes Florida out of the race for him. But if you're Florida, this is a, this is a bird in the hand situation. You take the opportunity here and, and it's a great one. I mean, this is a kid that if, if Jim McElwain coaches him up, I mean, this is a kid that's talented enough to absolutely get Florida heading in the right direction in the passing game. Uh, and so it's big. And, and I tell you, another one that that just popped, you know, we're, we're talking on, on Monday morning, just popped yesterday and Sunday. Jamar Chase 
to me, one of the best receivers in this class, also committed over the weekend to Florida. And and this is the kid, just to refresh people's memories of, of those that follow recruiting, he was going to announce at the opening on NFL Network, on live television, they screwed up the announcements, they, they, they pushed it back, he wasn't able to announce that day. He would have announced to TCU that, that day, but because the NFL Network screwed it up, he, he decided to, to sit back, wait, reassess. He goes down to Florida for the Friday Night Lights event, and he, he gets blown away. So that's, that's a tough blow for TCU because this kid is one of the best receivers in the country, and now he's going to be teaming up with one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Matt Corral. So Florida, big, big weekend on the recruiting trail. So, all right, Friday Night Lights at, at Florida. This was... Um, like do, do most programs have events like this? I, I was texting you over the weekend because, uh, I was on weekend duty while I was also on us open duty. I don't know. I was around my computer too much. Um, I was, I was learning about, I was, I was, I was finding out, uh, more and more. And clearly the Friday night lights weekend, like there was celebration to even get Justin Fields to Friday night lights. And then it also leads, I think to the Matt Corral commitment. Then you get Jamar chase, like, what is it uh, about these events that has become in vogue? Because I have also seen throughout the summertime and throughout the off season these these popping up. Like it almost seems like uh, you're hyping up what has always been just the classic like junior and senior camps, right? Yeah, you make a sort of a showcase camp. You put them under the lights in the indoor facility. It's a it's an evening event. They try to make it more exclusive. They try to make it more invite only. And, and it's really an opportunity for these guys to get around the, the program and the coaches and, and just get loved up a little bit. And it's, it's fun to see it work. Like in Mississippi State, they're, uh, I think it's called their Big Dog Camp. They, they'll have almost their whole team out there just like cheering on the commits, and, and it's a cool setting. Uh, down in Miami, they're paradise. Their paradise camp. Yeah, they they had a bunch of former players, like a bunch of like NFL guys, Michael Irvin and, and, and Ed Reed type guys down there. Um, really just sort of hanging out with the players. And it's a great, I mean, I mean, talk about that's a heck of a, uh, an impression there. If you get to hang out with all the, the Miami greats, um, Urban Meyer got it going at Florida Friday night lights. That was sort of the first one of his kinds. And now everybody's doing it and it really becomes sort of the, the finishing touch of the summer recruiting season. And so we see a few of these big commits pop. Um, they get they get caught up in the the emotion and the moment and, and they want to be a part of the team and uh, that's what Florida was able to to capitalize on this weekend and and I mean t- it is truly one of the uh, the real indicators of who's going to have success through the years is you know what what can they get done on their elite weekends. Ooh, very very cool. All right, um, as we continue to tear through our win totals, we're going to split the Big Ten up into two uh, because we I mean we've just got. I'm excited, Barton, because now here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, we've got like news and, and things to react to instantly. So we're uh, we're going to be able to hit that as well as continuing to plow through these win totals. Uh, our task for today is the Big Ten West. Big Ten Media Days uh, will be going on this week, so it should be very timely. We'll knock out the Big Ten East, which of course is Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State at all in our next episode. But we want to start uh, in the Big Ten West. It, it is, you know, every every division, every every conference has uh, the division where um, it always seems like uh, teams are just beating each other up to try and get to that championship game. Uh, it's This is the Big Ten's version of the SEC East or the ACC Coastal. The Big Ten West uh, starts with a team that I believe you tipped your hand on, on in a previous episode. We're going to start with Wisconsin. With a number at nine and a half, um, and is this this is a team? I'm just pulling this right off the top of my head, Barton. But didn't you say you're 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 feeling Paul Christ's squad this year? Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I think that this is, <clears throat> I, and I think I mentioned it in another episode uh, when we were talking Big Twelve. I thought this is a this is a team. I think you can throw in the Washington category as a college football playoff contender that maybe people aren't talking about and. <laughs> I think that Wisconsin is – I mean, they were 11-3 and three last year. They returned 15 starters. They returned their whole offensive line. And when your offensive line is back at Wisconsin, 
that that's that means something because that's what they are. They're an offensive line factory. Paul Christ is is one of the best rec- coaches in the country. Alex Hornibrook's going to be improved. Um, you know, I, I love Tr- Troy Fumagalli, the tight end. I think he's one of the best in the country. Uh, I, I just think, and, and obviously, and I think their defense is is always going to be so good. And then you look at their schedule. So, you know, last year they had what? They had like LSU. They had, you know, Penn, they, you know obviously they had, Pitt, they had Ohio State and Michigan. Um, this year they've got Michigan again. But the rest of it is just, you know, it's the West teams plus Utah State, Florida Atlantic, BYU. Win, um, win, win. The schedule sets up. Yeah. Like the schedule, it's, it's, they're going to be, I mean, it's, it, I, the over is the, t- the play, first of all. And, and to me, it's just a matter of whether or not they're undefeated by the time, you know, they play Michigan late in the year, undefeated by the time they play in the Big Ten championship game. Um, because here, here's what I could envision. <clears throat> I'm going to toy with doing this. I mean, I don't know who I'm going to pick for my final four yet or my playoff four, but <clears throat> I could envision a scenario where Wisconsin runs the table, goes to the Big Ten championship game, loses to, say, Ohio State in a really close game, and then the Big Ten gets two with Ooh. Wisconsin and Ohio State. Oh, <laughs> I like it. So I, I, this is going to be a fun team. I, I, I really – Quintez Cephas is a kid that I'm excited to see. The guy that didn't start playing football till late uh, was a Furman commit and in basketball, and, uh, and and Wisconsin sort of threw an offer out there at his senior year after he started blowing it up, and and like he's he already looks like he's going to be a starter. Um, that defense, as I mentioned, I mean those guys are loaded, and then the the, the offensive line is going to carry him. I just like this team. You know, it's just a Paul Chris team with with a Wisconsin identity, and and I just think they're going to be really good. Thick dudes with beer and cheese, just to bowl <laughs> over defensive lines and give them like and give them just just as much as much time as you need. I'm I am so with you here. I think that Wisconsin is by far and away like I think that I always I always view college football. Uh, in with nationally and within conferences, I always end up viewing them in tiers, and I think Wisconsin is alone in the Big Ten West, and I think that Wisconsin is is the only team that is on the top tier with Ohio State and Penn State in the Big Ten total. I mean, this is this is an easy over for me at ten. I'm not ready to go twelve and zero. I think that those there might be uh there might be a weird loss in there somewhere, but I'm I'm absolutely with you on the over here. This is. This is so much fun, and now I am. I'm just. I'm just sitting here, daydreaming about the screaming that's going to happen if the first conference to get two teams in the college football playoff is the Big Ten. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious, that would be so much fun. You know, they, they they've got the beef up top. So the the only thing that that limits Wisconsin in that is that that off. You know that that non conference schedule. You know because they don't really have a. You know the NCAA does reward, or I'm sorry, the committee does rewards scheduling. And Wisconsin's Utah State, Florida Atlantic, BYU isn't exactly the the most treacherous stretch there. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But I, I think that puts them in a position to to, um, and they'll have a resume building game late in the season against Michigan that they can probably hang their hat on. Um, so it'll it, it you know it'll be. I think it'll be interesting. Hey, Barry Alvarez might recuse himself, but you can't tell me he's not going to be slipping extra game control statistics to his colleagues on the selection committee if Wisconsin's in the mix. And you know that guy's just like giving like a stare to some folks, just some intimidating, <laughs> some intimidating like like water cooler conversations. Just hey, listen. Take care of my Badgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He start he starts <laughs> icing somebody out just because he knows that they're uh, they're not putting them high enough on their ballot. Yeah. Uh, all right. An interesting team here, Northwestern, over under set at eight right now, juiced a little bit to the over uh, according to the latest Bovada numbers. Um, the Northwestern has fallen into a pattern, which for, for Northwestern football under Pat Fitzgerald, I think can be viewed as a good thing, but it's one where I'm assuming that they're going to be able to win six or seven games pretty much every single season. Um, and I like that is 
a great thing. I don't think Clayton Thorson has a bunch of arm talent, but the boy's been able to get out there and uh, lead his team to some wins. Uh, where are you at with the Wildcats right now, both for the season and in general? Like this is a this is a program that's established some stability over the last couple of years. Oh man, you're on my boy Clayton Thorson. Look, that's where you're wrong, Chip. You like he Clayton Thorson? Does have arm talent? Oh. Clayton Thorson is an NFL quarterback. What? Not only that. But I'm going to tell you right now, Clayton Thorson has a chance to be like a first-round NFL quarterback. What? I, I'm telling you, watch him this year. Just Third, watch hold, on, hold on, let me mark the tape. 34-50 <laughs> is when Barton told Chip that Clayton Thorson has NFL talent, and not only that, but could be a first-round pick. I'm telling you what now. he's Look, he. it's one of those deals where – it's almost uh, Drew Lockish. I talked about Drew Lock in the SEC thing, where where he, you know, freshman year got thrown to the fire. He wasn't very good. Sophomore year, he made big strides. Um, we'll see what he looks like if he can continue that progression as a junior. That that's what Clayton Thorson. He played as a, as a freshman. I guess a redshirt freshman is when he started playing. Throwing balls into the ground, throwing hitch, hitch routes into the ground. Wasn't not wasn't pretty, but he's big. He's strong. He's athletic. He does have a big arm. He's effortless as a thrower. He got a lot better last year, and he is. I think he's going to continue to progress. They they love him in that program. They think you know he is. He has all the the intangibles. All the you know he's a hardworking kid, great family, all that stuff. He's going to be an NFL quarterback, and and I think I actually think that he is a big reason why I think Northwestern is a is a lock to hit the over. Wow. And I, and I think that they're going to be – this is going to be the – you know, look, they've had – they had 10 wins in 2015. They had 10 wins in 2012. They're going to have a, a chance at a 10-win season this year. Uh, I, I think that they – you know, obviously this is another team. They, they should run through their, their non-conference, Nevada, Duke, Bowling Green. Wisconsin, you know, that's a, an away game. I think that they're, that's, a lot, that's a tough game to win. They'll have Penn State at home. I think that's a dangerous game for Penn State. And then the rest of their schedule, Maryland, Iowa, Michigan State, Nebraska, Purdue, Minnesota, Illinois. I mean, it's all the, the West teams. and I mean, they should. They should be favored in all those games, I think. And I just think this is a really well-coached football team. They've got a really good defense. Their secondary is outstanding. They've got a running back in Justin Jackson, who's one of the workhorse backs Yeah, in Justin Jackson's football. really good. I like him. And, and not only that, but they lose Austin Carr, who was their leading receiver last year, but they get Jalen Brown in, who's a transfer from Oregon, who's a very talented kid, who could, who could I think, make that a pretty seamless transition from Austin Carr. I really like Northwestern. I, I think this is a team that's going to have a really, really good year. All right. Over for Barton. I'm going to go push at 8-4 and four because I'm a little bit more excited about some of the other teams down the list. Uh, Minnesota. We got P.J. Fleck. We are rowing. The boat, seven and a half wins right here uh, for the Golden Gophers. It's going to take some time for him to uh, really be able to put his stamp on things. Minnesota, just in general, that uh, that job, uh, that program, they've they've been going through a lot here in the last couple of years. Where like for for seven and a half. That is taking into consideration that you still have a lot of pieces there, and that PJ Flex probably a good coach. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking seven and five. It's seven and a half for the over under. I'm feeling seven and five from the Golden Gophers. What about you? To yeah, one I, under. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's. A, I don't think that's a bad spot for them. <clears throat> you know, that's that gives them in five losses. That gives them what Northwestern, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, and and a couple more in there somewhere with the. You know, I, I could see them going over that certainly. Uh, but I, th- I think seven and five is not a bad place. New staff, though. I mean, the thing about PJ Fleck is is everyone gets caught up in his his slogans, "Row the boat," and and you know, "Be elite," and and all these things that he just you know he's be he's a diamond, this- be a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> he's he is the ultimate cliche slogan guy, and and that in some ways I think uh, overshadows his resume is, is just a really good football coach. Like he's not just a, uh, a smoke and mirrors recruiter. His teams are well coached. They don't make mistakes. They're, 
they're they're detail oriented and so um you know how long does it take to install that into this team he doesn't pick up a, a, a roster that's in a bad situation i mean they had a good team last year so you know i don't know it could be this, this could be a team that surprises some people too um and I, they have two really good backs um shannon brooks and rodney smith they've got i i think stephen richardson is is one of the best defensive lineman in the Big Ten. I really like him. Um, you know, they bring back most of their offensive line. I just think that this is uh, a team that's got a chance to, I mean, I, I, look, I'm sort of talking myself into this. I think it's, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say 8-4 and four too. Um, I, I think I'll take the over on that one. I think that this is going to be, it's hard for me to see this team taking a step back because I think they're just as talented as last year's team. Um, and and I think that this is going to be a really well-coached team. Uh, Dimery Croft's a really unique quarterback. He's tall. He's athletic. He's a little bit raw. So we'll see how he develops. Um, that's probably the that's probably going to be what determines this. Is just sort of what does Dimery Croft look like? Um, and uh, you know we'll see. I think uh, I think seven to eight, seven to eight wins is where you're at. Um, I'll lean eight right now. All right. Uh, we would talk about teams often that might be uh, you know better or might be very good teams, but then it's not always going to be reflected in the win total. Um, six and a half is the number for the Iowa Hawkeyes and they've, they've got a tough schedule. Uh, they are they've got they've got some of their toughest games at home. Penn State will be coming to town. Ohio State will be coming to town, but they're on the road at Wisconsin. They're on the road at Nebraska. They're on the road at Northwestern. Uh, this is a group that is solid on the defensive line and at linebacker, but they do have some turnover coming. Um, eight and five a year ago. I'm thinking that for six and a half, uh, I really like a Kirk Ferentz team when they're uh, when they they've got a, a pretty good running back and, and they're pretty nasty and salty in the lines. I'm going to go over here. I think Iowa goes seven and five and might be a good team, but the schedule ends up hurting them and keeps them from eight wins. It's going to be an ugly seven wins. It's good. They're going to grind it out. It's going to be nasty, but it's going to be Iowa football. Um, I I agree with you. Um, I wanted to go under. But, I mean, they return so much talent on defense. Um, you know, they've got a really good linebacking core. Manny Rugamba at cornerback on the back end really had a good freshman season last year. He flashed a lot to me. Um, and and offensively, they're, they return most of their offensive line. And and you mentioned that running back position. Um, Akram Wadley is, is, to me, one of the more underappreciated running backs in the country. He's really good. Now, I'll say this. I watched their spring game, and it was not pretty offensively. It was, I mean, it was, it was the most boring spring game I've seen this year. And I actually believe in Brian Ferentz, and, and I think he's a really sharp coach, and I think he's going to be a head football coach someday. Um, and so I think there's a, there is an element of them keeping it very simple in that setting. Uh, I, you know, not that they're going to overthink it once the games start – uh, in, in earnest here this fall, but I will be very interested to see what that offense looks like. And I think the quarterback position is is uh, pretty unproven right now. Nathan Stanley looks like the starter, uh, but again, it, it wouldn't shock me if they go under. But I, it's hard to pick against a, a, an Iowa team with a good offensive line, a good defense, and a good running back because they just figure out ways to win. So um, I'm. I'm what three for three or four for four with the over so far in this this conference, but I, I I just I can't bring myself to pick against Iowa in this under. I loved uh, the Nebraska start to the season a year ago, but I do not love Nebraska going into 2017. The over under is set at seven, and as I look at the schedule, I feel like I can get to seven and five. You know, I feel like I, I can look at it and. Uh, find a couple spots where they might be able to to make some noise, but man, that like at Oregon, like I, you know that Coach Taggart's going to have the Ducks ready to go. That is a showcase game for yeah. him in Autzen Stadium. Uh, you've got Ohio State rotating in there, and I don't know if Ohio State's going to lose a Big Ten game or even a regular season game. They've got to go to Penn State. Now we were just talking about that Iowa team right there. I I tend to think that even though I like Nebraska's secondary, 
Um, but man, they they were relying on Tommy Armstrong a lot, and when he got hurt, things obviously uh, got a little bit difficult. I mean, this was a very good team, and I think Mike Riley is a very good coach. But we got to find some unders here. And, and uh, man, I, I think the Cornhuskers, that's going to be one of the spots. I don't know if Tanner Lee's the guy. I don't know if he's going to be the guy uh, that's going to lead them back up into like the top 10 of the polls in the playoff rankings. Six and six. I, I, I'm with you. I think this is a six and six team. And and I, I do think that Mike Riley's a good coach. And I think that this is, um, you know, and so they, they could overachieve for sure. But I just think, as you mentioned, and when you look at this conference, and, and I think Oregon's going to be a totally different team. They've got Wisconsin, Ohio State, Northwestern, at Minnesota, at Penn State. All teams, I just said, I, I think are really good. Um, and then, you know, you got that Iowa game at the end of the year to, to get to a bowl uh, if, if you lose all those other games. So I, I agree with you. I think that this, you know, this defense under Bob Giacco will be. Oh, that's I right. That, He's there. That's, I mean. Mm, yeah, well, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt well, no, you. Well, no, I mean, I, I think I'm getting at what you were about to say. They'll be, they'll be solid defensively. I think they'll be a good team defensively. Um, you know, I think on offense, this is going to look a little bit uh, a little bit more pro-stylish uh, with, with Tanner Lee at quarterback. Um, you know, I think they've got a, a solid group of skill guys. But again, it's just if, if I like the other teams, basically I like the other teams in this division better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the teams we just talked about, I just like them better than Nebraska. Nebraska is going to scare some people. They're going to win some tough games, but I don't think this is the year that we see the the foundation that Mike Riley's laid sort of play out. I, I think that that's more of a next year thing because they've been recruiting well too. I think some of those those some of that will come to roost here, but before too long. But I, I just don't see this being the year. Illinois over under is set at three and a half. Uh, life's hard for Lovey Smith, man. This is a uh, this is this is a tough. This is a, a roster where I'm not seeing a lot to like, uh, and this is a schedule where the wins are hard to come by. At three and a half, man, I'm, I'm I, I always it always gets awkward when we get down to the end of these uh, these divisions. But man, I'm I'm kind of thinking that this is a three and nine season uh, for the Fighting Illini. Hey Chip, when we did our our coach rankings for the Bit Power Five. Where did you? What range did you have Lovey Smith in? Like forty-five like, to fifty-five. Like, I mean, that's a—he's a tough one to rank because he was really successful in the NFL, right? And and in some ways, he shouldn't have even been fired from the Bucks. And then he takes the Illinois job, and you got a a, a Super Bowl coach at, at Illinois, and but yet here we are, and, and he's in what this is that will be season two mm-hmm. and I, I mean i agree there's not really there's no real reason for confidence right now and i don't really know what to make of that and 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 i don't know whether it means just that you know he's he's not necessarily a college fit or you know whether we just need to rethink whether or not just hiring an nfl coach is is who's got a big name as a good hire but um you know this will be a year when we they need to make strides to prove that this is that he was the right hire and that he can get it done. Uh, I don't necessarily see it either. Uh, Dwayne Lawson, who's the quarterback, more than likely is a guy that I think probably would be the, the starter at Virginia Tech this year had he not gotten in some trouble and stuck around at Virginia Tech. But he he transferred out and went JUCO and now he's at Illinois. So he's really talented. Uh, Mike Dudek is back. Uh, Mikey you know, Dudek, healthy finally. <laughs> they've got so they've got some players, but. Again, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, look, I think Western Kentucky is a tough game. At USF is a tough game. And then they got all the rest of the Big Ten where they're, who they're looking up at. Um, what's the what's our number three and a half? I think there's another three and nine season. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, like, and to, you know, to the point about Lovey Smith and hiring NFL coaches, when we do our Power 5 coaching rankings, we were tasked with ranking them as college football coaches. And yeah. like, yeah, I took your legacy and your past into consideration, but like that was a boost for Gary Patterson. You know, that was a right. boost for uh, coaches that have gotten it done at a high level in college over time. I'm, you know, that was a boost for Jim Harbaugh when I was considering what he built and was able to do at Stanford. That's like you got the Bears to the Super Bowl, but that means you're good at 
uh, coaching up grown men. It's a very different challenge when it comes to recruiting and cha- recruiting and coaching up uh, 18 to 22 year olds. I, Lovey Smith's a big name. I wish him, you know, nothing but the best professionally. And but man, this is uh, this is going to be a tough season for uh, for Illinois for sure. Well, and and the next team we're good. like so. For instance, Lovey Smith splash hire, you know, sounded great at the time. But who would you fire your coach to hire Lovey Smith over? And look like the next school, Purdue. Jeff in Brom. some ways, I mean, Jeff Brom is one. Despite being, you know, coming from totally different backgrounds, I would in college football, I'd probably rather have Jeff Brom. Than Absolutely, Smith. yeah, dude. What he did at Western Kentucky was awesome. All right, so Purdue. Uh, over-under set at two and a half right now. I think that it's fair to say, judging from your tone, that you and I are both uh, optimistic about Brahms' long-term potential, but the yeah. short term is going to be tough. Yeah, I think it will. And, and this is, a, I mean, he's got a couple tough non-conference. He's playing at Missouri. He's playing Louisville. Uh, and then again, you got the rest of the, the, the conference to look up at. So this feels... Like another two-win season, I think. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's a lot of points, and I think the offense starts clicking. And you know what? Maybe they do pull an upset on somebody. And and I tell you what, I see Ohio on the schedule. I see Illinois on the schedule. I see Rutgers on the schedule. So now all of a sudden, I think, hey, what's? I I think I just said Jeff Brom's a good coach. Um, I got to think they can figure out a way to get to three wins. Yeah, I do. I do think that David Blaw. Or Blow, or however you say his, how do you say his name? Blow. Um, I think David Blaw is is not as good of a quarterback as the one he just left at Western Kentucky, Mike White. Um, and so I think to to just assume that they'll be able to accomplish what they did at, at Western in year one uh, may be a stretch. But I I, I think he'd also built a, up a stable of receivers too. Oh yeah, I mean they had I mean they, they had NFL receivers out there, and so. Um, I, I, again, I, I think that three wins, just figuring out a way to get to it, it makes me want to take the over. But I think it'll be a tough, a tough road to get there. I'm going over, and I think that the the real over is going to be that Louisville uh, Purdue opener, where <laughs> we're like, I feel like the final score there is like 56 to 28, or like fi- something where like. Uh, Louisville establishes a very fast three to four touchdown lead, and then uh, Purdue hits like twenty one points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly <laughs> the way I see this going down. I think it'll be awesome. Uh, Barton, you're awesome. Thanks so much uh, for your time. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we will link back up later this week so that we can talk about the Big Ten East. How far? Do we think the Ohio State Buckeyes can go and can Penn State or anyone else knock them from a course towards returning to the college football playoff? I will get into all of that later. Thanks, Martin. See you, bro.